0: Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for
1: joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition, 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm2. Live link at thetrumpet.com coming up on this weekend edition. Look at some interesting uh, headlines, also... Some of the programming coming up here over the weekend that you can look forward to on KPCG. Lots of uh, new programs coming out. We'll take a look at a few of those. trumpet.com and also continue to look at uh, this great booklet, The History and Prophecy of the Middle East. That and more coming up on this weekend edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG and we're online at kpcg.fm. There's a live link at thetrumpet.com as well if you would uh, like to listen there. And uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. Any emails you'd like to send, send those to uh, comments at kpcg.fm. And we're happy to look at those for you. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today it's uh been dry dry here in Oklahoma and weather changes and uh there's uh, there's some colds flu's going around and uh i haven't been stricken yet but uh i've got a little bit of the the throat the the cough the congestion thing going on I uh, don't think I've uh, become ill, but I'm uh, just with the weather I think and when I wake up in the morning it, it takes me a while to get going with the old uh, throat and voice and such.
0: I've been having a throat clearing issue as soon as radio starts the last few days. I don't know if maybe there's too much sugar in my coffee <laughs> that's just getting that I'm just starting to notice when I have to finally talk in front of a bunch of people. You're, uh,
1: uh you're maybe you're allergic to radio. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I'm just trying to breathe over here. <coughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just uh, it's dry. Dry, uh dry winter months and some people's uh you know, they really get the dry skin. I get it a little bit, but it's not not horrible, but some people really struggle mm. with that. So we're in that dry time of year here in uh Edmond, Oklahoma City area. We could use some rain. We haven't had any in a long time. Mm. Seems like a long time anyway.
0: Can't recall. Yeah, you're right. Now that you th- now that you mention it, I don't really think about that until someone says it and then I'm like, Wow, it's really been like a month and a half or two. It's been dry. I think the Farmer's Almanac, if you can believe that thing, (laughs) I don't know. I thought they said it was going to be rainy or
1: something, but there was, actually I saw a weather show the other day, just part of it, and it was a local weather show and they were going through with the Farmer's Almanac over the last like three years and then looking at what happened to try to determine if they were right or not. And the weather guy basically was saying that they weren't right, but I thought, well, would he like somebody to look at every forecast he's made over the last three years?
0: I bet he's had a few misses in there, too. That wasn't very nice of him. Yeah, weathermen can sometimes get things catastrophically wrong. I, I don't know why he would want to have a segment like that. <laughs> I th- yeah, I don't know if he was trying to like uh, bolster his credibility
1: versus the <laughs> farmer's almanac. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, All I know is the climate's changing all the time That's uh, the ongoing theme
0: It's real, I think we can all agree that climate change is
1: happening <laughs> Climate is happening that's, uh, that's, That'd be a great t-shirt, climate is happening A <laughs> couple of uh, headlines to look at today that are interesting This is from the Washington Times uh, Illegal immigration on border is surging back to uh, Obama levels It had been down for a while after President Trump came into office But now it looks like it's jumping back up again I'm
0: not sure why that would be well, it's taking them a really long time to build a wall. Uh, mm-hmm. That that could be part of it. Maybe they're just taking advantage of their opportunity now and seeing that uh, maybe the administration isn't as tough on the border as they had said during the campaign.
1: Well, and also, I wonder if they're looking at uh, some of these cities that are kind of refusing to follow the federal laws, you know, because they obviously know that, that at least the talk is a little tougher about implementing some of these laws. But then some cities come out and sort of say, now nah, we're going to do our own thing or we're going to fight against that. So maybe they feel like, hey, if we can get across and get to one of those cities, then we'll be fine. Maybe they're using
0: our own division against us. That's true. I've seen I've seen several studies recently that show that uh, sanctuary city policies, amnesty, um, the Dreamers Act, I guess, all of those things actually encourage more illegal immigration, and nearly every American believes that to be true. It's just a matter of whether every American believes that to be a bad thing, but these policies are encouraging people to come here illegally because it's not like you really get too much punished for it, even if you get deported we've seen that people can come back seven, eight, nine, ten times,
1: yeah, yeah, and sometimes those people hit the news because of a crime uh they've committed. It says, near, this is again Washington Times, nearly 40,000 illegal immigrants were nabbed attempting to sneak in at the border in November, which, you know, you wonder how many didn't get caught, which was up about 12% compared to October, and more than twice the monthly numbers from March and April when Mr. Trump touted his early accomplishments. <laughs> they had to get that dig in there, I guess. <laughs> Perhaps just as worrisome for officials is the rise in families traveling together, which surged 45% last month, And unaccompanied minors traveling without parents, that rose 26% in November. uh, They said, of course, uh, there's an uptick, as they put it, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, in people coming across. So anyway, uh, those numbers were down for a while, as mentioned, but now they're jumping back up. And uh, uh, where do those people end up? Where are they heading? not sure. But, uh, you know, you can think of, like, San Francisco, L.A., some of those cities, they seem to be a little more... uh, friendly towards that sort of immigration.
0: Yeah, very true. And that is quite a change in the types of people coming over. It used to be more a lot more common for men to leave their families, come over by themselves, uh, get a job here, start earning more money, and then send that money back home. But it looks like they're starting to bring their families with them, or even children are going by themselves. It obviously makes it a lot more dangerous because women and children are going to have a tougher time making that type of a treacherous journey. And then Even when you get to the wall, it's a pretty big uh, climb and potentially a very long fall down Uh, at the parts where there actually is a wall. Mm -hmm. I actually always wonder why we have all this footage of people climbing over the wall, but they're still able to do it. It's like we're watching it happen, but we don't see any agents stopping it in those tapes either.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wonder if, yeah, maybe they're uh, sort of stationary security cameras. Mm. (laughs) somebody
0: wasn't paying attention i don't know
1: (laughs) so that's interesting also related to that from usa today there's a flood of venezuelans fleeing depressed country and uh, they're seeking refuge in a few places uh they say uh, it is 8 a.m and the line of venezuelan refugees outside the interpol office already stretches to the end of the block most have just arrived in lima with not much more than the clothes on their back and are Here applying for a certificate to show that they have no criminal record, a requirement uh, for a work permit in Peru. From Mexico to Argentina, immigration agencies are reporting skyrocketing numbers of Venezuelan arrivals, doubling and even tripling the total for previous years.
0: So they're getting a lot of uh,
1: refugees from Venezuela coming into those
0: areas. That's the marvels of socialism, isn't it, when you can't even afford basic groceries, the shelves are all empty, uh, people are fighting in the streets for those basic supplies. I mean, that's that's what happens when the government believes it can take from every person who has more and distribute it to everyone who has less. It always seems like the government ends up keeping all those resources instead of redistributing redistributing them like they say they will.
1: Yeah, I was wondering if the fact that people are leaving Venezuela and pouring into other countries, if that's pushing immigration into the U.S. too as well. Uh, obviously, when and they said, I forget, I think they said there's a million or something coming out of there. So they have to go somewhere. And what what nation is there on Earth that can just absorb that many people, give them gainful employment, and everything's A-OK? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a matter of uh, where are the resources, and that's where people are going. But then wherever they go, those places lose their resources, too. So uh, it, it's not a good... Um, I don't see a good end in sight for any of this because at some point, uh, do you all end up in the same spot fighting over the same resources? It doesn't seem to have a good solution.
0: America would appear to be the ultimate destination for most of those people, and then some of these other countries might just be a stopover point. What better place to come than America if you know that you can immediately get welfare benefits Uh, you can maybe even be caught and assigned a court date, but no one's going to make sure you show up, and then you can just disappear into the country. Because of so many of our backward laws and policies, it's really attractive for those people to just come here.
1: Eventually, we'd run out of resources, I'm sure. It's not like we don't have a debt issue in the U.S. already. Well, uh,
0: so much of that is just from the welfare state, and why would we make that even larger by including illegals into it?
1: There was a fascinating story this week. Speaking of uh, welfare state, they found old footage of President Reagan talking to uh, the Queen, and that was uh, boy, it was obviously years ago, but not. It was I think it was uh, what was it? Early nineties, maybe. And mm-hmm, they were probably. Just, they were talking, and and they were talking about uh, how it was going to be harder for the next generation to thrive and survive financially. And one of the things that they pointed to was the sort of the welfare state and the fact that, you know, people are wanting all this uh, uh, welfare or even even uh, just the pay scale and everybody wanting more and more and more and more. And eventually uh, your wants exceed what you have to give. And I think they were pretty clear minded in talking about that at some point, whether it's a nice thing to help somebody out or not, uh,
0: resources run dry. And then what do you do? Very true. And the, the common misconception about welfare is that it's a good thing. It's really not, because what it does is it, it might provide people with a basic income, but at the same time, it kills ambition and it caps your potential to climb the ladder of success in this country. If you're getting $20,000 a year without working, people would rather take that than become a millionaire, which is really the American dream.
1: Well, and sometimes in the short term, if people were to go work, they might make a little less. Short term. But if you stuck with it long term, you would you would do better. And uh, it's, it's nice to have a safety net to help people temporarily get back on their feet. When it becomes a lifestyle, that's where it really becomes a drain on society.
0: And there does have to be a lot more thought put into uh, how you deal with people on welfare, especially because of how much fraud there is. Those people are still allowed to vote, and who are they going to vote for but the party that just throws money at them? I mean, that, and it's not the politician's money to give away. They're taking that money from people who are actually working, and they're giving it to those who are not. That is an unjust system there, and there has to be something with that where if you're not a contributing member of society, you shouldn't be allowed to just vote for those who are going to just hand you out the most money.
1: Yeah, it's... uh. uh it gets to be a big problem after a while. So, and like you say, it, it's hard to keep the voting, I guess, honest when it's <laughs> sort of it's sort of bribery in a way. So, uh anyway, interesting there just uh lots of people looking to get to better places including getting out of Venezuela. And uh and it is a great point you bring up about the government there. I mean, they're socialist, right? Um how has it worked out? Because they teach socialism here in the U.S. in a lot of ways and kind of hold it up like it's a great thing. Bernie Sanders was a candidate for that. Uh, and young people seem to like it. Um, well, take a look. It's already happening. Like, there's, there's a great example of it happening today, and it's not going well.
0: Right. And the common myth there is that uh, it, democratic socialism is somehow a way better version than just regular socialism. Basically, it means that the people chose the leader who is a socialist. That's actually what happened in Venezuela under the late Hugo Chavez. He was also democratically elected. That didn't work out so well. So just because someone like Bernie Sanders then calls himself a democratic socialist doesn't mean it's changing his goal of crushing small businesses. He's taking nearly all their money in taxes. Uh, People like that have a goal of maybe like a 70% death tax. It's it's really about the government just hoarding money from people who uh, they don't deserve to be taking that money from.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody w- ideally would want to be in a system where some governing body takes everything and then they decide how to distribute it. Talk about talk about being. Well, the that's the old expression, right? A government powerful enough to give you everything is powerful enough to take everything away, mm-hmm. and so. People that are living those sorts of situations, like in Venezuela, are trying to get out, and as it says, they're they're getting out with just the clothes on their back. Yeah. So you can see how desperate they are to leave.
0: Very true. And again, this might sound like a great policy or a great system in the short term for those who are not working or who are not t- uh, successful for the time being, because they're just getting money that they didn't have to earn. But God help you if you ever start to become a success, because then all of a sudden you're losing 70% of your money in some cases. How is it ever ethical for the government to take that much? Yeah, it takes away the drive of uh, people to improve, too.
1: Because if you know, well, if I, do, if I hit this next tax plateau, then <laughs> there goes all my money. So, right. yeah, definitely uh, a lot to think about there. Uh, here's a uh, continuing story there from California. It's from Reuters. Vicious winds to test crews battling the California wildfire this weekend. Well, we have a quite a few listeners there online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com, and hopefully everyone's doing okay. Uh, it says the fires have caused schools to close for days, uh, shut roads, and driven hundreds of thousands from their homes into shelters. The fires are also responsible for the poor air quality throughout Southern California. Sometimes they have problems with that anyway, but this this doesn't help and forcing some commuters to wear protective face masks, according to local media. So, quite a few problems there with the fires. They're not under control yet. More winds this weekend to uh, make it more challenging. One firefighter has died uh, so far, and as it says, many people have been put into shelters. Uh, Hundreds of thousands have been at least forced from their homes, and then uh, school closed for days, roads shut, all those things. So, it's taking quite a toll in Southern California.
0: Yeah, it's affecting nearly everybody, and just the the potential amount of damage is staggering when you consider the many tens of thousands of structures down there, the billions of dollars that would be lost if any of those structures started to get burned down it's like it is pretty much to the level of absolute catastrophe, millions of people displaced, tons of businesses closed down, a lot of money lost and it's going to take years to repair all that if if the potential for damage is fulfilled. It's such a beautiful area. It's sad to see that happen out there with those fires. Um, We've
1: been out there a few times, my family and I, and always enjoy the beach, and uh, my son asked me the other day, because we were looking at some of the fire footage, he said, could the fire burn the beach? <laughs> I said, I don't think so. I said, it could burn stuff on the beach. I don't think it would, uh, I don't think there's anything to burn in sand, necessarily. Um, <laughs> the sand can't
0: get much hotter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's.
1: I don't know what you'd do there. We have a big diamond, I guess. But, uh, but I said, yeah, I mean, it, it could burn all the way down to it, and, and all those beautiful homes and beautiful, really, trees and a lot of that that's there on the beach, and so, Anyway you hate to see something like that happen but um, but again it's uh you know you have to look and say well is California being cursed it sure seems like in a way it's the most blessed area in general it has been but now it's it's just having one disaster disaster after another and uh, the trumpet dot com has some good write-ups about California is it being cursed why would it be cursed uh, some things to look at there
0: yeah and especially considering the time frame how radically it has changed in the last four decades where there's now probably five or six million illegals in the state. And the earthquakes have increased dramatically. The immorality and the lifestyle has increased. All kinds of uh, policies have been put in place, like legalizing recreational marijuana, for example. The pornography industry thrives there. Hollywood thrives there. So many things that add up to... Uh, Just a lot of curses, and you could see why that might be happening. There are a lot of potential causes for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think with some of these fires, they don't totally know the cause yet. or They're still looking at that. And, um, you know, even you mentioned, like, say, the recreational marijuana. Um, You know, just think about how many accidents could occur when you start all being altered in your mindset. I you know have no idea if it had anything to do with anything but just in general if you have a community that's uh you're not sure what mental state they're in whether it's a car accident or something else or carelessness that could lead to problems uh you could bring a lot of problems upon yourself. You know outside of say you know you 're doing something wrong and it 's this very specific uh, a curse that 's put on you you can you can bring a lot of curses on yourself by just being foolish and doing bad things and things that are just not wise and so that 's something to consider too
0: absolutely. Think about how mad those people in Las Vegas got when uh, they ran out of <laughs> recreational marijuana in most of the stores for some reason. they pretty much had a riot that's that 's a side effect of marijuana increased uh, irritability and anger. This is a society that's already uh, tense enough, and to add in a substance that is going to make people even more likely to explode at the slightest provocation probably isn't the solution to that. Yeah, they, that, they did get upset <laughs> when that stuff wasn't there. Uh, here's
1: a Here's a story from Fox News. I think it's interesting because it just highlights the fact that Israel is hated in the Middle East. Miss Iraq forced to flee country over Instagram photo alongside Miss Israel. Yeah, here you go. Miss Iraq, Sarah Aydin, and her family had to flee their homeland after receiving death threats over a photo she posted online last month. Why? Because Aydin posed with Miss Israel at a Miss Universe International beauty pageant. People did not like that at all. So she had to flee the country.
0: Yeah, and it's sad, too, because if you just look at the fruits of how israeli's treat arabs versus the other way around um there's really no reason for so much hate toward the jews it's not like they are doing things uh they're not committing violence that would invite this type of behavior you know if there are uh terrorist attacks the hospitals treat people based on who is the most injured regardless of if it's a terrorist or if it's an israeli citizen they will they'll treat a terrorist ahead of a citizen if he is more badly wounded. What do you think would happen in an Arab hospital if you had injured Jews in there? It would be a pretty different situation for example there yeah
1: I think I think you're right the in this picture that was posted uh Miss Iraq posted this uh, the caption said under the photo, "Peace and love for Miss Iraq and Miss Israel." In another Instagram post, I didn't apologize to those who thought the photo was harmful to the Palestinian cause, clarifying that it was not a political statement, but instead meant to express hope and desire for peace between the two countries. And she added, it does not signal support for the government of Israel and does not mean I agree or accept its politics in the Arab homeland. So (laughs) she had to say all that stuff and backpedal there. But what's wrong with two people from a different race? having a picture together. I I don't think maybe it was the best picture considering it's a Miss Universe pageant, but nevertheless. (laughs) Uh, Still, they're posing together and and saying, you know, hey, look, we can get along. Here's hope for a better future. Here's hope for peace. You think that would galvanize
0: people a little bit and say, yeah, we could get along. If they can get along, we can get along. But instead, she gets death
1: threats and has to flee her country.
0: Well, doesn't that expose uh, a lot of these radical Arabs who are so hateful toward the Jews? If just having a picture like that is a way of undermining the Palestinian cause, that's making it clear that they view the Jews as an enemy, not someone they can peacefully coexist beside, but an enemy. And who else in all of history has to uh, kowtow and bow to an enemy like that unless they've been militarily defeated and enslaved the Jews are in a superior position, uh, militarily, economically, financially. They're much more they're much more prosperous, they're much more well defended. They would easily win any type of battle that took place, and yet they're being forced to act like the slaves in that situation. They haven't been conquered by the Palestinians, so why are they having to give so much up?
1: Well, and two, Miss Israel wasn't forced to leave her country. She wasn't given death threats over it. Exactly. You know, it just it just shows the the mentality there. So, to say that there is there was some sort of peace process in the works, I mean, yeah, right. There was not <laughs> not not for real. It was a you know, let's see what we can get before we get strong enough to attack militarily.
0: Well, isn't it Hamas that still has in its charter the extermination of the Jews as one of their goals? Uh, you would think maybe that could be on the bargaining table, couldn't it? Yeah. Couldn't that be yeah. part of the negotiations? Uh, how about you change your desire to wipe us off the map, and then maybe we'll give you something back in return? Yeah, really, uh, really, uh, bad deal over there in the Middle East, and it continues to be volatile.
1: And we'll talk more about that later on in the program as well. Um, there was a trumpet brief sent out yesterday. If you don't have, if you don't receive those to your inbox, you can sign up for them at the trumpet dot com. They are free, and they come pretty much uh, Monday through Friday, and they give you a little synopsis of some things that are happening. And uh, the one from Thursday was sent out by Joel Hilliker, and he talked about just the changing uh, morality, I guess, if you want to call it that, of the U.S. (laughs) It's hard to define it. It's this moving... moving. uh, uh, target, I guess, for what's right and what's wrong in the country. And re- so, a really interesting Trumpet brief. Make sure you read that. And this kind of ties into it. This is a write up from um, the Bleacher Report. It says, What's acceptable? High school coaches ask after New Jersey colleagues ouster. So, everyone's really concerned about all kinds of, oh, call it what you will, bullying or any sort of offense. And uh, now, here are the high school coaches saying, well, What can we do? Because if we try to coach these kids. And in any way somebody gets offended by it, we're going to lose our jobs.
0: Yeah, well, this is just the the trend of turning our children into snowflakes and wimps, though, isn't it? That's just what we've been seeing constantly. That's why colleges are in the state that they are, where people go into full meltdown mode if they hear so much as a differing opinion. How, how can a coach ever help the team achieve its common objective of winning a championship? That's usually what they're going for. If the players are not allowed to be told they're wrong and they need to change something if they're not allowed to be told hey you know wake up start getting to practice on time start getting your grades up start running the plays like i say or you won't play at all those things should not be considered bullying that's part of sacrificing for the good of the team
1: and i'm sure there are some instances where things might be a little rough but in general um you know, people are really getting scrutinized for what used to be just considered basic coaching. Uh for example, if you were late to practice or you didn't run the play right or you just had your head in the clouds, you run sprints as a punishment. Well now they sent out a questionnaire. Did your coach ever make you run sprints as a punishment? And if so, they might be under scrutiny for losing their job. The coaches <laughs> the coaches are expected to win. Uh to teach to motivate to inspire and mostly win (laughs) but you can't make anybody upset while doing it how how can you demand discipline and structure in even a sports team if you can't if there's not some punishment for infraction i'm not talking about anything crazy i just mean hey you know you guys aren't focused, why don't you run a little bit and then get back to me. (laughs) That's very common. I did that in high school and uh, we got in better shape and we learned to pay attention. And uh, no one thought it was abuse. (laughs) I mean, it's just running. We were kids, Uh, but even that's coming under scrutiny now.
0: Every single sports team I've ever played on, I've had to run sprints because the coach told me to. And it's not an offensive practice. It actually, like you said, it does help you get in better shape. It's a lot harder than the actual speed of the game running running sprints is a lot harder than what you'll have to do in a game and so you're actually over prepared when it comes time to actually perform that's what you want to be able to do for your your kids on your team is to to prepare them to such a point that anything that happens in a game is easy
1: by these standards i mean uh the coaches i had would have all been fired <laughs> <laughs> Exactly <laughs> They sent a probe out uh, Asked players Whether this one Particular coach Or his assistant coaches Had ever grabbed Players face masks You know To pull them in And say something To them with football Denied water breaks Made them run As punishment On hot days Or pushed them To exhaustion <laughs> uh, In a way That was unhealthy I mean how are you Going to judge that I suppose it could Go overboard But in most cases They don't do that Based on its findings Which were made public The school board acted And they fired This particular coach
0: well, I guess you're going to have to get rid of such iconic sports movies as Miracle where the players skated until they puked because the coach made them. I mean, they 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 pulled off the most gigantic upset in Olympic in Olympic history probably beating the Russian team. If that is off-limits now, then I guess you have to totally erase those moments in history as well where a coach pushed his players to be great. That's, that's so inspiring, yet we're trying to tear all that down. It makes no sense, and it's not going to be good for the character development of those kids in real life either.
1: Yeah, whether it's a coach on a sports team or a teacher in a classroom, if they're going to get the most out of the students, they, do have, to, they have to push you beyond your what you think you can do a little bit. I mean, within within reason, obviously, but there's no way you don't show up to the first day of whatever sport you're playing ready to go. Usually, you need to get into shape, which means you need to run, and you're not going to get in shape until you run to the point where it is uncomfortable. If you just if you stopped running as soon as it was uncomfortable, I mean, no one would do more than you know 15 yards because <laughs> you start breathing heavy and you start going a little bit. It it takes a while to get through it. Uh, denying water breaks, I don't know about that. I, I remember. Having to run wind sprints in basketball, and the coach telling us to stay away from the fountains, mm. you know, until later. So I don't know—is that cruelty? And nobody died. No. Some some guys didn't like it. And some guys quit, but the guys that stuck with it got a lot better.
0: Yeah, and it's the same in uh, the military, especially in some of these specialized units. Uh, they're they're treated like absolute dirt compared to these these guys on these sport teams. So if we're going to just start criticizing sports wouldn't we then criticize the military and if we start doing that doesn't it get a whole lot more dangerous for the nation because we're going to have to lower the standards so much more those warriors defending us are then going to be just like an average person in terms of mental and physical toughness
1: yeah and it's really difficult to ask players about the coaches um because there's always going to be some that are disgruntled uh this one guy that got fired because of what the some of the players said other players stood up for him and said, you know, he, he, uh, they praised his coaching methods and the positive impact he had on their lives. Well, at the school he was at, he won four state titles in football, including consecutive undefeated seasons in 2014 and 15. So, you I know, I don't know what went on there exactly, but every a lot of people stood up for him and said, nah, it was fine. It, you know, but every team I've been on, uh, particularly in in high school, there's guys that are disgruntled. I'm mean, not getting enough playing time. I don't like to coach. I don't, there's always that. And if you, if you gave them an outlet to just vent, uh, a lot, there'd be people, I think, on every team that said get rid of the coach.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And in and, a and case like this, people who win a state championship, they are going to remember moments like that for the rest of their lives. That's going to be like a crowning achievement, something that they're going to remember forever because of the hard times you went through together in practice. Because you had to get in the trenches together. You had to push through adversity. You had to go hard against each other in practice to make sure that you both improved. And so even those who are not playing in the games are playing a vital role in actually helping the starters get ready. Every person on the team has an important part to play, but obviously those who are not playing much and think they should be are going to be unhappy. That's just kind of how it is, but you shouldn't be given a platform to complain about it. That's not what a team is all about.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean... uh People that I played with over the years on those types of teams, um, you, you do form a certain bond because you went through it together. And that's, I think, something we all look back on fondly is, yeah, we did a, we ran a lot, <laughs> and we did it. We, we stuck up with it, even when it was hard and difficult. And, uh, you know, I think everybody comes into the first day of whatever sport they're playing a little bit cocky, as it would be, as it were. And then they, you get humbled by the running, by the coach telling you you don't know what you're doing and things like that. But then then you feel stronger at the end because you you grew and you learned and you developed. And uh, I, I think most people don't have any regrets about going through those things.
0: No, exactly. And even even when I, re, I was playing, I thought there were times where I should have received more playing time. Um, maybe Maybe I could have helped the team more during the actual games. But that didn't stop me from showing up to practice and giving it everything I had to Either earn playing time or help those who were going to be playing ahead of me to be ready for whenever the games came. There's a there's an important responsibility for every person, and you do develop those friendships as well because those are such unique experiences. At a high school of several thousand people, there's only to, only going to be about fifteen or twenty of you going through that season together. That's a unique bond. Yeah. So
1: again, I'm sure there are situations where <laughs> coaches go overboard. That does happen, but it's getting to the point now where anybody that comes forward and says, you know, they were offended or they had to run too much or whatever. Now coaches are being investigated. I, I've been thinking about some coaches, uh, not, you know, specific ones, but just the coaching field in general, uh, instructors, teachers, anybody in a position of authority with all of these allegations coming out about everything nowadays. Um, you'd have to be pretty nervous because if what if somebody just accuses you and you they don't like you, they don't like what you did. They don't like your teaching style or your coaching methods. Um, It's that time, it seems like, where what's right and wrong is shifting so much that uh, it would be hard to feel confident in uh, having success at your job.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And, I mean, I've I've even made people run. I mean, I I don't see how that is such a horrible punishment. It's actually incredible what a difference that can make in someone's attitude if someone is sulking and then they run a lap they're not going to want to run another lap. So they're going to change that attitude and they're going to try to actually uh, start contributing. That It does make a big difference. You can't take time as a coach to sit down with every player individually, give them a hug, and you know speak consoling words in their ear. It's not always going to work that way. You have to help the entire team. And so sometimes you just have to send someone off to run and then keep on working with the rest of the players who are more willing to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, it's... uh. An interesting situation for those coaches. So, uh, good luck if you're a coach out there Cause it's not—it's <laughs> not an easy
0: world because of the shifting uh, what's right and wrong. Well, then there's these people who are pushing all of these changes now, and they're the ones who are on the witch hunt. The thing is, it's going to hit everyone at some point. You know, all the people rushing to judgment about the sexual assault issues, and then about coaches being too cruel—you're taking out every group in society and at some point you're going to be guilty of something and people are going to chase you down is that the type of society we want where we're constantly trying to bring everyone into public judgment and humiliation it's going to come back to hurt these people who are pushing this so hard
1: yeah and you know uh, a lot of the accusations it may be very well true for certain situations but maybe they're not or maybe there's more to the story but the fact that people are so quickly being jettisoned from a position or a job without, it seems like really much of a trial, <laughs> uh, that's the unnerving thing. You know, why not, if if it's a dispute between a coach and a kid, well, why not talk to both of them and say, okay, well, give me your side of it. There's probably more there than meets the eye and uh so that's what's making people nervous there's been some people lately uh every day you see somebody else getting fired for something and and there people are starting to kind of push back a little bit and saying hey this isn't fair you know I, I can't even have a trial here i can't even talk about this so uh strange times that that trumpet brief from yesterday really uh highlights what's going on in the us and it's really strange
0: yeah and the the most scary part is that there are people who are openly saying yes if there are 10 men accused of sexual assault even if only one or two of them are actually guilty it's better to just fire all of them that was a democratic representative who said that and it was also a male so what if one person accuses him and it's blatantly untrue but just because he made that statement now people are going to get him fired i mean that those are things that so easily come back on you that i don't know why uh people would even make a statement like that
1: yeah, there was a. I saw a quote today where they were talking about how, like everybody, every political party and every group is tr- running to try to take the high ground on this, but it, it just keeps shifting. You mm-hmm. know, what's the high ground on these things? Who's who's without sin ever in their lives? So it's interesting. Uh, make sure you stop and check out trumpet dot com today. One of the top stories is Trump's Jerusalem speech is an opportunity for Europe. Don't forget about Europe there. They're involved in things, even though you don't hear as as much on the, I guess, the the national news. But a lot to look at there in Europe. Uh, Richard Palmer uh, and Josue uh, Michel's on that uh, topic there. Uh, EU foreign policy chief. Europe is forced to act in Jerusalem to preserve peace. So that should send off some alarm bells if you uh, know much about Bible prophecy and what's expected to happen over there in uh, in Europe. Uh, in relation to the Middle East. They're going to be more involved than they currently are.
0: Yeah, and even even part of the sign that it's time for God's true church to flee the place of safety is armies surrounding Jerusalem. Uh, it's not going to even have to be a conquest of the city. It's just going to be a peacekeeping force that comes in and then uh, initiates a, a shocking double cross. Germany is doing a really good job of playing the role of peacemaker, trying to be conciliatory, uh, in in all these different situations, and yet we're going to see, like the Bible talks about, as soon as they get into Jerusalem, things are going to change pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure.
1: Also, Trumpet Daily Radio show this weekend with your host Stephen Flurry talking about the missing dimension in education today. He has an interesting list somebody sent to him of uh, c- courses that are actually offered in different universities. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go through all of them. I'm sure it would be quite the list, but he, he mentions a few in passing. And, uh Wow, <laughs> those are actual classes. So you'll have to listen for the uh, the list. One of them was, uh, I think, how to watch TV. I didn't know that was a that was confusing. <laughs> Unless you can't figure out your remote, <laughs> which sometimes happens.
0: I already feel like I'm a little bit too good at that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even need a class. <laughs> I, have
1: a, I have a master's degree in uh, television watching. Actually, my my uh, TV got messed up the other day. It was driving me crazy. I I, w- I turned on uh, Sunday Night Football. Mm. And the broadcast was in Spanish. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) And so I turned it to other channels, and they were in English. I thought, well, is it my TV or or what? And so I was looking at my remote, and I think it's one of those universal remotes, so it was kind of – I didn't quite know what was going on. Anyway, eventually it got figured out. Uh, My wife figured it out sort of randomly, but it was just on the wrong – you know, audio channel. And it's not as simple as hitting audio and changing it. There was something else there. Some weird sequence that had to be hit on this universal remote. Well, my I think my daughter was watching a video, and she just hits a bunch of buttons because she <laughs> doesn't know what to do, and she ended up changing all the TV settings. <laughs> so I told her to stay away from the remote. So I, maybe I do need that class on TV watching. Yeah,
0: it sounds like there are a lot of uh, complicated aspects to that. But that, that does show you uh, just the value or the lack thereof of education now when – when those are the types of classes being offered, uh, they're even trying to get protesting uh, approved as a sort sort of a credit for your graduation at a lot of universities now hmm. so so basically, what you can do is you can skip class, go to a protest, it may or may not turn into a riot. you may or may not assault other human beings. But, hey, you're still getting class credit for it. Amazing how that can be part of education now.
1: How many how many kids do you think have tried to not go to the protest and then say I was protesting the protest? <laughs> like where does it stop? You can protest anything, right, even you, the
0: class? How are you going to know who's in that mass of people or who's just hanging out at home yeah. and not, not going to it but saying they are getting a credit?
1: Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. There's always been some really uh, sort of odd classes, I guess, but lately, it's it's far more. It's expanded far more because there's so many alternative. What used to be alternative now they're mainstream lifestyles. So every new lifestyle, every new thought now has to have a class. Mm. So I I can't imagine just what these classes are. And the thing that's crazy is that I, I've had a few classes that were maybe on the verge of that over the years, like a sociology class or something, and. Even though the whole thing seemed kind of like a joke to everybody, like the professor takes it very seriously. And so, if you if you are kind of lighthearted about it, like "oh, come on," they're like, "this is serious," you know. So they take all this stuff very seriously, even if it's nonsense.
0: Yeah, very true. And and you think about like what would be the most important groups of people to study? It would have to be well the founding fathers. It would have to be the the biblical heroes. Uh, but you are not seeing uh, classes about that. You are seeing gender studies. You are seeing uh, studies about every different specific race and every other country besides America because America's too racist to even really talk about anymore. Uh, we we are dividing ourselves into so many different groups, so many different lifestyles that you have to have classes to explain it. You have to have sensitivity training courses galore to try to help people interact with those who might prefer different pronouns. I mean, it's just it's just so over the edge now to total insanity that's the education that we're dealing with and yet as mr flory brought out on that radio program they're still saying we need to be taught about character that doesn't that doesn't involve god though right well if it doesn't involve god it it already doesn't involve god right now and we see where that has gotten us to where we're wasting our time in these types of classes that are not going to prepare anyone for real life they don't have any benefit whatsoever
1: Yeah, that was a really good point in the program. Uh, You know, you can think about it, too, with this uh, changing morality, if you want to call it that, in the U.S. How can you talk about morality if you're going to exclude the Bible from it? Then what is it? And that's what's so strange. It's like, well, we'll decide what's right and wrong, but that always changes. Mm -hmm. So you can't have morals if you're not going to look at the Bible. You can just be an immoral people, (laughs) which is what's happening, but then then don't sit there and point the finger at somebody else because, well, everybody's immoral and in the mix.
0: Well, isn't that the problem? Every individual in this country has a different set of morals. Every individual in the country thinks that his particular set is right and superior to everyone else's. There's no common standard. It doesn't really uh, matter what the truth is. It's just about every person's individual truth. People overlook the fact that This country was founded on the pillars of religion and morality. You can't chop down one of those and expect the nation to still be held up. Morality comes straight out of the Bible. You don't find a better book that gives you those principles than the Bible, yet we have people advocating for a return to character-based education without even bringing God into the picture at all. Yeah, then it gets really bizarre when you don't have a foundation there. Also, the Key of David program, it's a new one
1: this weekend here on the radio, KPCG, and also set the Trumpet. You can watch the video, and it's on television, too. Uh, ties right into what's going on in the U.S. Uh, God's purposes of sex. America has been rocked by sex scandals in recent months, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> there is a solution, it says. The God-ordained purposes of sex should be taught in every home and school. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, talk about sex today and I guess sex education on some level. But again, there's not a lot of talk about what the Bible teaches about sex.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, getting back to these college courses, they have sex education classes, but they're all about all kinds of perversions and they even show graphic videos in class. Is that beneficial? Is that helping anyone's mind or really teaching people the value of sex? Uh, Mr. Fleury in that program talks about the book "Missing Dimension in Sex," which is the greatest sex instruction manual ever, it actually shows that sex is to be valued; it's to be uh, a cherished institution within marriage, and not just something that we seek out. Like he said, alley cats. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was just putting it very, <laughs> very kindly. I think that's how that's how it is yeah.
0: now. I mean, he's he's just bringing out the way that people approach it. That's why sex scandals are everywhere. It just shows the way that people consider sex as just an instrument of gratification.
1: Well, and even even in this new morality, I guess, if you want to call it that, people don't care what anybody does as long as everybody's okay with it. <laughs>
0: right. That's I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like well, as long as everybody's okay with it. How and when yeah. do we ever get to a point that everyone is okay with that particular subject—it's just confusion all around. It is, yeah. Great Kia David program. Make sure you check it out. God's purposes of sex—that's
1: uh, this weekend. Also, the Trumpet Hour Weekend Review program coming up this weekend, and uh, Watch Jerusalem. So a lot to uh, listen for. Uh, here's one interesting note quickly from this day in history: 1981. On this day, the U.S. Congress passed a 200 billion dollars spending bill. At the time, it was the largest in U.S. history. Hold on to your hats. The budget now is $1.244 trillion, <laughs> so, uh, and, and uh, of course, it has all the debt as well. So, I know there's inflation. I know things get more expensive, but uh, uh, not that much more expensive.
0: Yeah, and h- historically, what we've always seen is anytime the government decides that money needs to be spent on something, it, it never decreases its spending on whatever that particular new item is. So the welfare state as it keeps getting bigger for example it's not going to be cut down because at this point people expect it they would be outraged if it got cut uh government's not just going to relinquish um having that kind of power over the people that's a lot of cash 1.244 <laughs> trillion dollars although i guess people are certain people are fine with cutting military spending for whatever reason Right, yeah. <laughs> maybe cut, increasing the welfare at the same time,
1: cut the military to to spend on social programs. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do want to do, and maybe in a utopian, no one ever goes to war society, that might be something to think about. But uh, we're not in that, <laughs> not in that situation at all. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely gets more expensive. And they're always talking about shutting the government down too, and then they always pass a new, the extend the debt ceiling and and uh and it depends who's in office. I remember, you know, when the Democrats were in power, you had the GOP saying, "We'll let, we'll shut that government down. We don't care. We're not going to pass this budget." And now that the powers are flipped, now the Democrats are saying that, "We'll shut it down." You know. <laughs> but before they were arguing that you couldn't or you could and <laughs> right. it just depends who's in power and then they bicker and then at the last second, "Ah, we'll just give everybody more money." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's how that's really the only way to solve it. And we saw that uh with President Trump, the way that he was able to uh, appease a lot of Democrats in the last last time he proposed a budget was he had a lot of infrastructure spending in there. He didn't cut things that they didn't want cut. He had to go a long way in their direction or else uh, it wasn't going to work. He didn't propose any cuts because that would have never really happened.
1: Right. Nobody wants nobody to wants cut. Nobody's going to get in line for the, you know, you can defund my program. That's fine. <laughs> no problem here. Uh, we've been talking this week uh, about this really fantastic booklet at trumpet.com, History and Prophecy of the Middle East, and uh, it, it goes through uh, prophecy there in uh, Daniel, which uh, is Daniel 10, 10 through 12, 4 primarily. It's the longest single vision in the Bible, and uh, it was revealed to Daniel during the third year uh, of the reign of King Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, around uh, 535 B.C., so... Uh, he got this uh, understanding and this revelation at that time, this prophecy, and as you go back and you look historically, then you can see how step-by-step step it's been fulfilled, and then, of course, you see that there's more to come still. So it's a great proof of the Bible and the the accuracy of the Bible, as well as giving you insight into what is going to happen uh, in the future. In the Middle East, and of course, the Middle East is that uh, powder keg that really sparks so much conflict around the world and ultimately uh, uh, that explosion leads to war that leads to the return of christ
0: yeah it 's amazing how this prophecy does lead step by step to that momentous event, and we 've covered the last few days just how specific all of these different details are about um, the the Persians, about the Greeks how the Persians were going to have four important kings after Cyrus the Great. Those were the ones mentioned, not not all of the less important ones. History bears that out exactly. We talked about with the Greeks how Alexander the Great was cut off early, even as he was in the height of his powers and he was conquering every other empire. He basically died in his early 30s, and uh, the kingdom was turned over to people who were not his relatives, which is exactly what happened, too. Yeah,
1: his Alexander the Great's empire was split between uh, four of his generals, and uh, two of them were not as important uh, in the world scene, but uh, two of them were more important, and uh, that uh, relates to the king of the north and the king of the south, which we're going to look at a little bit today. A little bit of a longer segment uh, section of the booklet, so we won't be able to get through all of it, but at least touch on some of the high spots. And uh, it's it's a great it's something that it's really specific, and so. You do have to like get the book and, and sit down and go through it and really get it into your mind. But we'll go through some of it, including trying to say the names correctly, which is always, <laughs> always great. Uh, one of the uh, generals was uh, uh, C. Lucas. uh He ended up with Alexander's Far Eastern Territory all the way to India. So uh, if you've got a map, (laughs) you can take a look (laughs) at that. His western boundary included the region known as Syria today. He ruled the general region of ancient Assyria and also Babylon. This kingdom, according to the historian Myers, during the two centuries and more of its existence played an important part in the civil history of the world. So this was one of the more important offshoots there or divisions of what had been Alexander's empire. And then the other general is uh, Ptolemy, captured Egypt, Judea, and part of Syria, this kingdom was perhaps the most important of the four divisions uh, because uh, it had a lot of influence upon civilization at that time. So when you look back of course, you look at Egypt, and uh, they were very uh, influential, as it says. So these two, uh, Seleucus and Ptolemy, were the generals uh, of the four that took Alexander's empire that were more important and then do factor more into uh, prophecy.
0: Yeah, and when we're talking about the king of the north and the king of the south, those are the ancient versions of that, where uh, Seleucus, his empire was generally north of Jerusalem. That's that's the point where you you gauge that, and then... Ptolemy was south of Jerusalem. Those are two big empires, and of course when when you have two big empires that are right next to each other, it's going to be a battle of supremacy.
1: yeah, and it gets really specific as to what would happen with these uh these empires. Uh, Daniel eleven verse five says, "And the king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes." And uh, he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. So this verse more specifically explains how the two strongest empires of the four divisions developed. For a while after Alexander's death, uh, Ptolemy, Egypt there, was the most powerful. The king of the south shall be strong, as it said there in, in that uh, passage in Daniel 11. And uh, C. Lucas was originally one of uh, Ptolemy's generals or princes in Syria, Uh, Seleucus Nicator and uh, but while Ptolemy was tied up in war after Alexander's death Seleucus gained control in the north founding the dynasty uh, in that area in 312 BC and as verse 5 says this dynasty actually exceeded the king of the south in power and might it was the kingdom of Seleucus that then most closely resembled the great empire under Alexander so, you can see the very specific details that God provided there in verse six uh it says and in the end of years they shall join themselves or associate together uh, for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, and so you can go through that history there and there was an actual marriage and everything happened exactly as spelled out between these uh two kingdoms so the the uh the um specifics and the details given in Daniel while at first it seems a little general when you look at what actually happened. He specifically said what was going to happen to uh, those regions.
0: Yeah. And and this is another case of Seleucus breaking off from Ptolemy and it's just a lot of uh, division. And even with those other two generals, Lysimachus and Cassander, they were killing sons and brothers and, and, and just doing whatever they could to seize power. Uh, but of course it, they, Sometimes in history you see marriages of convenience where you don't necessarily want to have to destroy both of your empires in a war. So sometimes you just have one side marry the other, which is what you saw with uh, Seleucus and Ptolemy there.
1: Yeah, and uh, all those things were prophesied in this uh, specific prophecy here in Daniel. And so it goes on and it talks about a lot more of those details. And again, it's something that you really have to read over and then read it along with the Bible and say, okay, this passage said this, and then look at the historical examples. And what's nice about the history and prophecy of the Middle East is it's done a lot of that legwork, and it's kind of put it all together. And you can go to other historical sources, too, for more insight. But uh, this particular section is really one that you have to sit down and read and kind of look at the details. And it's even good. uh, Some people like to mark their Bibles up a little bit. Uh, It's good to do that as well, to remember all these uh, specific details.
0: Yeah, and that history is... Uh, in a lot of ways, it's more interesting than what you would see in uh, pretty much any movie. Just just all of the examples of treachery and battle and and strategy and the fact that a book could tell of these events hundreds or thousands of years in ava- advance ought to, ought to wake up a lot of us to uh, just how powerful the Bible is.
1: And uh, if you go down and read through some of this history, and again, there's a lot more to cover there. It gets specifically into what happens to those empires. Uh, It gets down to a really important point that we'll mention here also, is uh, that uh, Seleucus left no heir. Um, The other son of Antiochus the Great was left to uh, take control of the empire. Uh, The other son was called Epiphanes, and you may know Mm. that name, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not a uh, good individual, <laughs> and uh, so in Daniel eleven, when you go through that history, you get down to Antiochus Epiphanes. He was responsible for setting up what the Bible says is the abomination of desolation, and this is significant because of a prophecy concerning an end time abomination of desolation. Again, there's a duality here where some things happened anciently, but it also happens again, and uh, that's in Matthew twenty four fifteen and Luke 21, twenty one twenty and there's a spiritual abomination of desolation also. So there's a lot to look at there, but again, uh that's all in this uh booklet History and Prophecy of the Middle East and uh it's something you got to sit down and really study and go through. And uh really amazing to see how accurate Daniel's prophecy is. It's a great proof of the Bible and then gives in- insight into what you can expect to see coming up here in the uh, months and years ahead.
0: Yeah, and the duality is tremendous as well, the fact that there were a king of the north and a king of the south almost 2,000 years ago or more than that now. And then uh, just how Antiochus, there's a type of that in the same time, actually three of them as the uh, America Under Attack booklet brings out that you can find out on the com as well. Yeah, you can see that uh, as you get into some of these
1: topics and you need to uh, get into more books as well. So it, <laughs> you've got, There's a lot to look at there to understand, but the historical uh, – uh, accuracy is amazing in Daniel, and then the prophetic accuracy as well. So anyway, there's a lot more to talk about there, and uh, we'll discuss more of that as uh, as time does permit in the future. But uh, make sure you get history and prophecy of the Middle East. That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, and the Trumpet Hour Week in Review also. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend and we'll talk to you Monday.
0: listening to Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG.